I'm actually excited to be alive in this day and age, uh, 2015. I know it's another year older. For some of us, that's more of a challenge than others, but uh, we can't do anything about that. In fact, I feel that this could be one of the finest hours in the church's history. I'm not saying the finest hour. We've had some tremendous hours in the last 2,000 years. I love church history, and it's amazing what God has been able to do through his people down through the ages. But I believe this could be one of the finest hours. However, we have to get ourselves right before God to be able to take advantage of it. And what I want to talk about today and next week Next week I'll be a little more practical and probably a little more specific to CFUH. But I want to speak to a big picture for a minute in the hope that we can position ourselves right in Christ to produce what he's looking for from us. Uh, So in starting that, I want to try and debunk a very strong voice that is coming through the internet through the TV, for those of you that watch a lot of TV preaching and everything, which I do. Um, And so I want to start by reading a statement to you by a man in the States who, Michael Pink, who I have tremendous respect for. I've ministered with him, and he's an amazing guy, got a great website. But he says this, There's a rampant fear growing on the internet, and this time the church is one of the biggest purveyors of it. Instead of appealing to the flesh, it appeals to our fears, creating a fear-based way of living that renders its victims impotent as God's agents of change and messengers of hope in the world. Now, as we move into 2015, you'll, most of you will be aware of some of the stuff that's just rampant everywhere, and I'm talking about within the body of Christ. See, we've got the issues of the four blood moons, and if you're stuck on some of that, come and see me. I'll show you how ridiculous that is from a Christian perspective, biblical perspective, scientific perspective, and history, historical perspective. That's easy to deal with, but it's not any one thing. We see what's happening. We see the whole thing of ISIS. We see various outbreaks of violent attacks on society by fanatical members of religious groups. And I can understand the conclusion this is bringing. Speaking to this, a very prominent Christian magazine says, As we enter this new year of 2015, We need to realize this will not just be another year. We have now entered the end times. Now, if you think, well, that's great. I have a magazine from 1979 that says that. I have several from the 1980s that say that. And so we need to do a reality check on so much of this, especially because what's frustrating to me, God addressed this a long, long time ago in many different ways. So I just want to stick to scripture as much as I can. So we're going to go way back to the seventh century. And we have a man, a prophet called Habakkuk. 
And so he gets before God, and in chapter 1, and if Mel can track with me, you should see some verses up. I'll leave that to be where where it is. But he cries out and he says, How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law, which is God's law, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. So here we have the prophet all those years ago raising some typical modern day issues and cries. What's happening in the world? Who's in control of society? Is it God? Or is the evil and chaos that seems to be rampant, is it an indication that Satan has control and the only thing the church can hope for is to get raptured out of here and you will find as much of that as in the internet as you care to read. The problem is these questions are based on fear and they're not going to get us the right answers because they are the wrong questions. Then what is wrong with the questions is this. God's plan, starting in Genesis 3, if you will, that unfolds throughout the scriptures, has not changed. And God will not be mocked. And we'll look at that more next week. The right question, the question we should be asking all of us, is how do we best respond to God's call and God's commission in our generation or in the very circumstances we find ourselves in right now? See, for sure, no true Christian who loves God and people should be indifferent to the moral and spiritual climate we find ourselves in. We need to be acutely aware of this. And we should take our concerns before God in prayer and we should involve ourselves with the affairs of humanity and do what we can to see them redeemed. This is the Great Commission. And again, I'm talking about Matthew 18, uh, sorry, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, which we'll be looking at next week as well. But to properly express this commission, each generation of God's people, you and I, must address the real world threats and questions that arrive in their particular moment of history. And this is what Habakkuk is doing. And here's where he gets confused. He struggles to understand how God can go on letting the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And he looks at all the evil out there, and so he begins to to petition God. So his hope, which is very clear in these scriptures, is that God will come in judgment and deal with the wicked, who are, of course, in this modern day, not us, but they are those nasty people who don't know Jesus. We're shocked that sinners sin. Well, that's just what sinners do. They sin. And so Habakkuk gets a bit confused about this. And so God decides to give him a glimpse into the future. So we get into verse 5, and God says, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder. 
because I am doing something in your day. So God says, hey, I am at work. You would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate within themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their hordes of faces move forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through the, like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is in their God. So God comes and says to Habakkuk, hey, actually, I am going to judge this situation. I'm going to bring down the Chaldeans. They are a vicious, aggressive, godless people who carry their own sense of justice and authority. And this is not what Habakkuk's looking for. So God has said to him, what I am going to do is going to shock you. And Habakkuk suddenly realizes, to his horror, that God's not going to remove him from society that he's going to be right down there on the ground floor, right amongst the people when God brings his judgment. And this is not what he wants. Now, I, I want to make this point. I'll develop this further. But if we're going to cry out to God to come and bring judgment to society, and that cry is everywhere right now, we need to understand it's going to impact us all. In fact, in fact, we need to understand in 1 Peter 4, 17, that God says, when I bring judgment, it will start at the household of God. It will start with my people. So this whole thought that the earth is going to burn up in a fiery hell while we're up in heaven rejoicing and partying with God is just silly rubbish. In fact, the church, along with the Holy Spirit, is on this earth to prevent that from happening. We are to sanctify this planet and try and stop the judgment of God coming down upon the people. That's one of the things we're meant to be about. So Habakkuk gets very confused. He thought he knew who God was. He believed he had mastered all the standard definitions of the understanding of the nature and character and attributes of God. And so on that basis, he dialed in a pre-programmed God response of what God should do to what was happening and assumed God would follow it. It's all over the internet today pre-programmed God responses that we think because we know a few scriptures we can throw at God, he has no choice but to act upon our sense of justice. We think we can force him into all sorts of actions 
all about what he's going to do and what he is not going to do because we understand him. See, any gospel, end times gospel, call it what you like, that begins by looking at the newspapers and begins by looking at the affairs of the nation and then goes back and tries to find Bible verses fall into the same trap. We have to start all our assumptions, all our prophetic predictions from who God is, what his plan is, what the scriptures reveal, and we've got to proclaim that to the people. See, to Habakkuk's astonishment, he meets a God who is bigger and freer than he had ever envisioned. And at this point, he becomes anguished. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is all you're saying. This doesn't fit into my concept of who you are. Is God bothered? Not at all. Because God says to him, you better line yourself up with who I am if you're going to claim to be a prophet speaking on my behalf. And he tells Habakkuk that. So the Chaldeans do come down. They do do exactly what God said they would. The righteous are caught up in it. They do go down into exile with the people and suffer. So they do get caught up in the affairs of God working with society. And if you think that was just for them, if you read Revelation 6.10, you will read where the martyrs that have already departed from this earth after much torture, suffering, and being put to death cry out to God and they say, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The cry goes down through to eternity until the Lord returns. See, if you do a study on the Old Testament prophets, one of the interesting things you'll find is that they are frequently dismayed and surprised by God. Why? Because none of them ever managed to work him out. And nor are they able to get them to follow their reasoning, their prescriptions, or their, what they believe, required actions upon the people. And that problem which still exists today is that the prophets of the Old Testament were more interested in controlling history and telling God what he needed to be doing than hearing the fact that all History is completely under the control of God whose purposes are way beyond our understanding. God's not caught out. God's not struggling. We'll look at Psalm 2 next week which says, God sits on his throne listening to the voice of the people and he laughs. Because he is so completely in control, it briefly amuses him that we suggest he's not. See, one of my great disappointments today, I love prophecy, and I love prophetic utterance. But one of my great disappointments today is that prophecy has lost its biblical meaning and purpose. It's no longer steeped in the fear of the Lord, and it's no longer believing in the unexpected. 
It doesn't reveal the heart of God, and it is not even close to his plan for the ages as laid out in the scriptures. It's been used more as a tool, dare I say this, to satisfy our lust for revenge on sinners for sinning and promising Christians that their loving God will never permit them to suffer. All this in the face of the fact that in the 20th century alone, more Christians were put to death and tortured and tormented for their faith than all the previous 1900 years put together. I want to ask you, where was their rapture? And we say, well, I don't know anything about that happening because we live in our cosy, cosseted Western world and long may that last and know nothing about what is going on in so many of these other countries and the war against Christians that many Christians are victims of. More people in the 20th century than the whole previous 1900 years put together and we say God will not allow his people to suffer. My gosh. See, I became a Christian in 1979. And I'm the biggest nightmare of these people because I began to collect all the prophetic statements, books and tapes, etc., and I still have them. I still have them. And basically, they're all about what's going to happen on this planet on the next five years. Then they are revised because it doesn't happen often by the same people without repentance or reference to their previous failed prophecies. They're all about hellish things coming upon this planet and people being suffering and destroyed and obliterated, but we're all going to be fine, we're out of here. In 1981, a preacher off this very pulpit, obviously we weren't here then, came in from overseas and told us, some of you were here when that happened, not to bother investing too much in your children. Because we've only got five years to go, so we need to be out saving people from this hell that's going to hit this planet. Well, my kids are now nearly 40, and I have seven grandchildren to them and two more here today. And I, I thank God I invested the ways of God into my kids and ignored that word. Because 30 years have gone by since it was said. 35, actually. So let's come back to our friend, Mr. Habakkuk. His hopes for controlling history through God are shattered by God's surprising response. So he asks this question, verse 17. Are you going to let these people just rampantly destroy all nations? And God responds with silence. Linda talked a lot last week about God responding with silence. If you didn't hear it, have a listen to it on the internet. So Habakkuk is feeling lost. So here's what he does. He finally starts to get it. Chapter 2, verse 1. So he says, oh, okay, all right. I'll stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. 
And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. Now we're changing. He's saying instead of directing God on what he needs to be doing about the affairs of this earth, I'll stand here and have a listen to him and see if there is anything he may have to say to me about what he's going to do. And then he says, and how I may reply, listen to this, when I am reproved. He feels he's been told off. He feels he's been rebuked. But as a result, he brings himself into the true role of a prophet. He starts listening for God's voice first. He starts listening to what God might have to say. And then, and at that point only, he says, then I'll know how to respond. And so at that point, God thinks, great. He's put aside his own agenda. He's listening to me, so I'll have a chat to him now. So God comes along and he says, actually, Habakkuk, it's not all bad. You see, God's judgment is always redemptive. God doesn't bring judgment out of vindiction or hate or anger. He took that upon himself 2,000 years ago. He doesn't have to take that out on us. He doesn't have to. Is God angry and vicious and aggressive at sin? Yes. Does he bring a horrendous penalty for sin? Yes. He brought it upon himself so he didn't have to bring it on us. Amen. So God says to Habakkuk, look, there is a refining fire coming, but something good will be produced through it. God tells him to record the vision and watch it unfold. We don't learn what it is. But there's three key elements in it that I think we need to share. And I can't cover these in depth, so I'm just going to bounce across them. The first lesson is human futility. God gives a stinging indictment on any so-called good works and progresses or plans that don't follow God's plan. So we need to get involved into what God's plan is, big picture for planet Earth over history, small picture, what is he doing here in CFUH, all of that stuff, and we need to line ourselves up with it. The second point, Habakkuk gets a lesson on God's judgment, and the lesson is this, no one escapes it when it comes. We are all sinners who fall short of God's glory. Our best response is prayer. Prayer for mercy and prayer for grace. Realizing that we have contributed to some of the ills of society just as much as anybody else has. The third thing he realizes is that God does have a redemptive plan. And brothers and sisters, because we are in Christ, it includes us. God has all things under control. And we must develop a sense of trust despite the circumstances around us because God alone is our strength. Our faith, our security is not in society and circumstances or in times of end. It's in Jesus Christ. And we are promised an eternity in him where nothing can separate us from the love of God. Does that mean we don't suffer? Well, everybody in this room has already suffered, so that, it can't mean that. 
but it means nothing can separate us from God's love. And God's restraining and restricting what comes upon us and what doesn't and how we get through it, as a loving father does. So Habakkuk, we get into chapter 3. And he said, you pierced with his own spears the head of his strongs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exultation was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. You trampled on the sea with your horses on the surge of many waters. I heard and my inward parts trembled at the sound. My lips quivered. Decay enters my bone and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress. Not call it down upon the people. We're here to help rescue them from it. For these people who will have made us. But then he says, yet, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, through the yield of the olive, though the yield of the olive should fall and the fields produce no fruit, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet... Will I exult in the Lord? I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and he has made my feet like hind's feet, and he makes me walk on my high places. Brothers and sisters, we cannot get that into our hearts until we get before God and we see the majesty of who he is and we see that he has got everything under his control and it is unfolding and his purposes are going to be achieved and we are part of his plan and we are the most blessed people on earth as a result of that. And sometimes you may not have fruit on your vine. Sometimes you may go through hardships. Sometimes you may cry out and say, I don't know where God is working in this, but he has never left you or forsaken you. He's still your God. He's still the King of Kings. He's still the Lord of Lords. He's not frightened of ISIS. He's not frightened of who has nuclear weapons and who doesn't. He's not sitting on his throne trembling and saying, oops, I'm losing control of this thing. It says he can even laugh at the arrogance of who humanity claims to be. But he's not laughing vindictively to wipe them out. He's crying out to us, go and get amongst these people and bring them hope. Don't bring them despair and judgment and condemnation. A horrible thing on YouTube. I wish it wasn't on there. About a guy's preaching the Lord and these people are jeering and laughing at him. And I used to do that all the time as non-Christians. I may have met Peter years ago before we knew one another. He was on one side of OAC preaching the Lord and I was on the other side mocking it. Sorry, Peter, if that ever happened. See, here is the issue. This guy says to these people as they're mocking him, well, you're going to learn, and when you're in hell, I'm going to point at you and laugh and say, don't you wish you had have listened to me? See, what a horrible place 
to stand and say, you're a sinner, you're getting your just desserts because if we're going to cry for true justice, that condemns all of us to hell and the only reason you and I are not going there, brothers and sisters, is because Christ took the penalty on himself on our behalf and he has taken us into him and it's in Christ that we stand before God without spot, blemish or wrinkle. We don't stand there in our own strength or in our own righteousness on that basis. See, God has called us to come into his presence without fear and without trembling. Why? Because we come in in Christ. Not in our own strength. I want to finish up. Romans 5, 1 to 3. Therefore, having been justified by faith, amen, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in what? The hope of the glory of God. That's what we've got to take out to the world, hope. We're the people of hope. We take out to them hope. We can tell you about a better way of life. We bring you hope. Not fear, not judgment, not despair. Hope. We exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations because we do have them. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and on it goes. Our hope is not based on the fact that God's going to get us out of here and bring an ugly judgment to the world. It's based on the fact that despite our circumstances, or even in the midst of them, we are justified and gain peace because of our faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel, or the Great Commission, we'll talk about this next week, reveals the righteousness of God, not humanity. And what we have to learn is that even our cries to God for him to act according to our understanding of his his righteousness are at best limited because we only see through a glass dimly. God is not interested in my sense of justice and I thank God he's not, so should you. I listen to myself in front of the TV sometimes watching the news and as I'm railing judgment on these people, then I think, well, that's not very godly. And then part of me saying, yeah, but they should, you know, and, and away we go. God is saying to me, Bruce, you have no clue what justice is from my perspective, so you need to get into my word and my way and conform yourself to what I am doing and what is my view of justice, and you need to thank me every day that you are in Christ. And I'm still working on it. I am very unredeemed in a lot of those areas. See, God pronounced the gospel over the world in and through Christ, not us, and it's a gospel of salvation and redemption and hope and good news because a terrible judgment for sin has already taken place 2,000 years ago and if we can call these people to get into Christ at that point, despite the hardships of life, they never have to face it again because God took it upon himself. 
So before we're calling out, God, bring your justice on these evil sinners, God's saying, I did that 2,000 years ago. I pulled it into myself so you go out and offer them hope and offer them life and share the good news that they can be set free from the ways of the world. Regardless of whatever is happening on this planet. And I don't perceive to understand even a little bit of it. See, like Habakkuk, we have to accept that we are in the world and we need to grieve over its situation. We need to share in its sufferings. But we need to also understand, and we've heard it this morning, that the goodness of God and the blessings of God is functioning every day on this planet throughout the world. It's not on the six o'clock news, but God's glory does cover all the earth and God's glory is being manifested through the earth and people are getting saved and set free and healed and finding a new way of life and how to build their families and their businesses and their future. All those things are happening every day. It's not just doom and gloom. The Spirit of God is working we need to line ourselves up with that and get into play instead of hiding on the bus stop waiting to get raptured out of here we've got work to do brothers and sisters and I want to talk about that next week so right now let's pray Father we want to thank you as we said at the start as we've worshipped And we've proclaimed that you are the God of all the earth. You're not threatened by the earth or by the events. You're molding and shaping them to fulfill your purposes. We have heard stories this morning, Lord, where you have healed people. And their doctors have said that's not possible. That can't happen. We know that, Lord. Yet to you, it's so easy because you are in control. So, Lord, we rejoice in that. We place our lives in your hands again, afresh this morning. We ask your blessing upon our journey. May we sign up this year to make a difference in this earth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.